Christian counselor Jay Adams says that anger is a problem for every Christian. He goes on to say that sinful anger is involved in 90% of all counseling problems. Do you hear what he's saying? Nine times out of ten, when someone goes to see a therapist, or nine times out of ten, when a couple goes in for counseling, the root cause is anger. And experts in the field tell us the embarrassing truth about anger When people finally get to the point of analyzing it in their lives, they discover that it's almost always rooted in selfishness. I didn't get my way, and I want my way. The same people also discover that their perception about various situations that trigger their anger isn't always accurate. People will often take a small amount of information and then jump to conclusions. And then to justify the conclusion, people will fabricate why they believe that their anger is appropriate. Basically, creating excuses in their own mind for their anger. Now, studies have actually shown that when we get angry, our minds seek to justify our anger. Instead of our minds slowing down to analyze the perceived injustice that has happened to us, to make sure that we're interpreting everything and, and, uh, and things correctly, the opposite actually inc- occurs. Our minds actually speed up in those moments. Our minds are convinced that an injustice has occurred, so it looks for evidence to... Now, the difficulty here is that once a person allows themselves to become angry, it is very hard to back down. And if a person has misinterpreted the situation and then struggles to back down, they often push forward with criticisms and accusations and harsh language toward others, which just makes a bad situation worse. Even if the perception is correct and the anger is justified so that a person has a right to be angry, This does not mean that any action that the person chooses as a result of their anger is justified. It is at this very moment of justified anger that a person has to make a decision if their response is going to be constructive or destructive. And anyone can be destructive. It doesn't take any skill to be destructive. It doesn't take an ounce of character to be destructive. Now, next week, we're going to speak very specifically about constructive action in response to anger in a sermon that's called Faith and Anger, based upon Galatians chapter 2.20, which happens to be my life verse, that I've been crucified with Christ, for it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So today, we're not focusing on the cure for anger as much as taking an important and closer look at understanding our anger as we wrestle with the source of anger. Now, I personally no qualms with Jake Adams' quote that I shared with you at the very beginning of today's message, that 90% of all counseling problems in the United States are related to anger. You know, when I preached last week's message about anger, the tricky emotion, I was inundated 
with comments. I got emails and texts and phone calls and counseling appointments out of that. And frankly, if you weren't here last week, you need to go online and listen to that sermon because today's message will make a lot of sense based upon what we talked about last week. But it truly struck a nerve last week because of what people and what families are going through right now because of anger. And sadly, some of that anger is even being played out publicly uh, right now on social media. Now, I also know that this is a serious problem, not just because our culture is struggling with anger right now, but because it is part of the human condition. As a result, the Bible has a lot to say about anger. We're just going to take a little quick flyover right now of some of the things that the Bible has to say about anger. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, just the beginning there. Fools give full vent to their rage. Same chapter. Verse 22 says, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. The phrase here, hot-tempered, translates a Hebrew word that means owner of heat. Hot-tempered, owner of heat. And this obviously describes the hot flush that a person feels coursing through their body when they get angry. I mean, they're just all charged up and all jacked up and red in the face and veins popping out and, you know, just flushed like that. That's what Proverbs 29, 22 is talking about. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9. Do not, quickly, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. If you're quickly provoked... Man, it camps out with you. It sits right in your lap all the time. And the Bible says that's a foolish way to live your life. Now today's text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 that uh, Sarah just read for us a few moments ago. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is saying in your expression of anger. Remember, anger is natural. You know, it's a neutral emotion, okay? God gets angry. There's more said about God in the Bible being angry than about human anger. But God doesn't sin in his anger. So therefore, it's righteous anger for God and how he responds. It's saying in your expression of anger, do not sin. And don't go to bed at night seething in anger. Now, verse 28 goes on to say, do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, if we don't appropriately deal with anger in our lives, if we let the sun go down on our anger, if we, you know, uh, in our anger sin, we're giving who a foothold in our life? The devil. The evil one is going to take advantage of that in our lives. And look at verse 31 here in chapter 4. Uh, it, it says the same, it, it refers to that as well. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. There it is. Now, a parallel text to this is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8 that says, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy and filthy language from your lips. And then, of course, there's the brother of Jesus, James, who didn't even come to faith in Christ until after Jesus' you know, uh, trial and crucifixion and death on the cross and resurrection and the resurrection appearance of Jesus who appeared to him right away. It says in James chapter one, verses 19 through 20, this is what his brother wrote. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone 
should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's not that we can't become angry, but we got to keep a lid on it, okay? Slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, that's just a thumbnail sketch of what the Bible has to say about anger. But the primary thing you want to notice is that human anger does not produce the righteousness of God, that God desires. So if we are to overcome destructive anger in our lives, we must understand better what causes it. Like last week in our sermon, we mentioned that anger is a secondary emotion. In other words, there's some kind of input that comes along, some kind of stimulus that comes along that revs us up. Now, therapists and counselors have a name for that input. They call them triggers. And if we're going to gain victory over human anger in our lives, then we must understand our triggers. What are our triggers in life? What perceived injustices in our lives occur that result in the emotional response of anger? What circumstances in our lives set the stage for wanting to get even or for wanting someone else to hurt like we hurt? Or what, you know, who are the people in our lives who actually encourage us to retaliate? Or maybe I should say, what kind of people do we have in our lives that, that stimulate us, that stir us on to retaliation? See, sources of anger, what they call triggers, sources of anger often come from some kind of loss in our lives. Uh, the rule of thumb is, the greater the loss, the greater the anger. And losses tend to come in two forms. One is called a primary loss, The other is called a secondary loss or secondary losses. And most people aren't aware of the losses in their life. And even if they are, they tend to only recognize the first one on the list there. They only recognize the primary loss in their life or primary losses. They don't recognize the secondary losses that are right there. And therapists and counselors in the field call these losses the anger behind the anger. What is the anger that's behind the anger? So what these practitioners generally do in these counseling settings is to ask people to sit down and write out all of their losses in life, beginning with the primary ones and then adding in the secondary ones, which, by the way, I'm going to ask each of you to do this week, uh, heading into next week's sermon, because next week we're talking about faith and anger. We're putting the two of them side by side and mapping out how God intends for us to deal with our anger. But in order to do that, I want you to do some homework this week. Do some real hard work this week. And I want you to list out your losses in life as we prepare for next week's sermon. And, uh, and map out your primary losses, then map out your secondary losses. And you know, people are actually surprised in this exercise how quickly their losses add up. Now let me just give you an example here. This this is an example of someone whose parents went through a divorce in their childhood. And the primary loss is the breakup of the marriage and the breakup of the family unit. But what might be some of the secondary losses that occur in a situation like that? Well, obviously the first one is less time with each parent. And, and maybe even less time with the siblings. Uh, and that often translates to splitting time each direction and then 
usually it means less time with dad. Now, there also is loss of income. Because all of a sudden now, you're trying to run two households on the same income, or maybe a little bit more income, but, but basically you're trying to do, run two homes with less money. So what does that mean? That means less opportunities. That means less uh, cherished activities. Maybe you can't do all the sports you wanted to, or maybe you can't be in band because you can't afford the instruments, or you can't go to sports camps or band camps, or you can't go to Bible camp, or the family doesn't take vacations anymore. That's a loss to the family because you can't afford it. And then many Many times there's the loss of one's home. And what does the loss of one's home mean as a secondary loss? Well, it means a move. It might mean multiple moves. And what does that mean? That means a loss of friends. That means a loss of schools. That means a loss of church and other community ties and other community involvements. And what are some of the other less notable losses, or noticeable, excuse me, losses in a situation like this? Well, obviously security is one of them. Safety trust, and belonging, to name a few. So what happens later in life when this particular person's safety or their security or their trust or their belongings, feeling of belonging, or, or opportunities in life are threatened? What happens to this person, whether they understand their primary or secondary losses at all, what happens to that person in those moments? It triggers internally inside of them these feelings of anger because it takes them right back to the biggest losses that they had in their life. You know, in my upbringing, there were many losses. But the primary loss was the death of my father when I was five years old, which led to having an overworked, exhausted mother who would go on to develop a drinking problem and not make good choices in life. And the results for us were living in poverty, and moving constantly. I moved eight times in my 12 years of school from first grade through 12th grade. Uh, It also meant that I was the scapegoat in my dysfunctional family, which meant that I was never good enough, that I was what was wrong with my family, that I was always the one to blame. I was always the one to get the discipline. And whatever I did or attempted to do in life, it was constantly met with criticism. Of course, as I mentioned in a sermon uh, early last spring, that the ultimate put down and slam, when my mom was really upset with me and wanted to put me in my place, she always would tell me that you're nothing but the result of a Saturday night drinking party. In other words, you're nobody. You were unplanned. You were unwanted. You don't amount to anything. So what were my secondary losses in all of this? Well, I lost out on nurturing. I lost out on affirmation. I lost out on good parenting, good guidance, parental wisdom. I lost out on love and support and security and safety, a belonging of trust, and that it was okay to actually talk and to have a voice and to have feelings, which I will tell you uh, is why Cindy and I knocked ourselves out when we raised our children, giving them those things because I didn't have them. And sometimes, you know, when you don't have something, it points out clearly what you need to have. And so it actually, in some ways, almost made it easier for us to parent because I knew what you never should do with your children. So what would my triggers be in life to my anger? What is the anger behind my anger? It is the message that no matter how hard you try, No matter how hard you work, no matter how much you give or how much you do, you are not good enough. And if people continually poke me with that message, it could get under my skin. 
And sometimes it could make my blood boil. And in my younger years, I would respond with sarcasm, which is a form of anger. Do you realize that? People that are uh, using humor and saying funny things, but they're jabbing, that's, that's sarcasm. That's a form of anger. Or I would also pick at people, just pick at people. In fact, in high school and college, my nickname was Pick for picking at people. But that's an expression, an inappropriate expression of anger. I would also get frustrated pretty easily, which, by the way, people want to say they're not angry. I don't get angry. I don't. But they get frustrated often. Do you know that frustration is a form of anger? In fact, it's the denier's form. People who are in denial will get frustrated and not process or deal with their anger. Or I would get irritated with people. You know, roll my eyes. Oh, you've got to be kidding me, was my favorite expression. And my brothers use that expression from time to time as well. And then a person becomes irritable. So if people would poke me enough and put me down like that, I could get lathered up inside. And then you know what I'd do? I'd put them in their place verbally. Okay? Sometimes I quoted lots of scripture. I preached some of my best sermons ever when I was angry and just quoting scripture at people. But I didn't always do it lovingly or with grace. Well, have you ever gone on that journey to add up your losses in life, to discover the anger behind your anger? People express their anger in multiple ways. Primarily, though, in three ways. People will blow up, they will clam up, which sometimes involves stuffing it, or they will go on a slow burn. Sometimes what they call a slow release. Are you a person who blows up? Are you a person who clams up? You know, oh, you're, I, don't, I don't get angry, but it's cooking the inside all the time. Or are you a person who does a slow release? Let those little jabs and picks and sarcasm and things come out from time to time. See, it's vitally important for our discussion next week about faith and anger, that we each understand how we process our own individual anger, that we know the anger behind our anger. So take some time. I realize it might take some hours this week to do this, but, but, but set some time aside. Shut the TV off, shut the computer off, whatever you got to do, and take some time to figure out what your losses in life have been. And generally speaking, triggers for people tend to come in three ways. One is probably obvious to us, it's hurts. If people experience physical pain, it might be the result of a, an accident or injury or a disability or some kind of health complication, could be the result of physical abuse or domestic abuse, uh, any kind of physical injury like that, or disablement of our loved ones, if they have some kind of physical problem, that hurt can dig very deep. But most often, however, our pain in the realm of hurt comes from emotional hurts, which again, can also be the result of abuse. But emotional hurts like rejection, or invalidation, or personal trauma, embarrassment, limitations, exposed weaknesses, broken confidence, confidences. People, we share something with someone and they go spread it around to the world. You know, there's a story in the Bible about David and a rich man in Maon named Nabal. And David and his men had actually protected Nabal, his family, his servants, and his flocks and herds from enemies and predators when they were out in the wilderness when he was trying to stay away from Saul. So when David needed some food and provisions for his troops, he sent some of his men to Nabal, thinking that this wealthy man 
would return the favor. But Nabal rejected David's request. And what really got under David's skin was how he did it. He invalidated David. Let's look at 1 Samuel 25, verses 10 and 11. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a man coming from who knows where? Are you feeling what he said? David, you're nothing. David, you're a nobody. David, you're just one of many like everybody else. Folks, this is a good study on anger. David got hot. And he grabbed a bunch of his men to go and wipe out Nabal and get what he needed. And they're marching on Nabal's estate. Meanwhile, Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears from one of her servants how her husband had mistreated David's servants and what he had said. And she immediately gathers up all the supplies David had wanted and more. They put them on beasts of burden and they travel with a bunch of servants of hers and these beasts of burdens to go and basically cut off and route David as he's coming to wipe out her husband and their family and everything at their estate. And she catches up with him and Abigail's intervention not only saved her husband Nabal's life, but also David's reputation as God's anointed leader of Israel. Whenever you feel invalidated, and whenever we feel that invalidated and, and we feel rejected like that, flags tend to go up inside us. How dare you treat me like this? How dare you say things like this about me? How, this is so wrong. How dare you do these kinds of things to me? You know, a lot of anger in our lives comes from hurt. Does this describe your anger? Do you have some big owies on the inside from losses that you have suffered in your life that keep surfacing, that keep popping up, and you might not even realize it? But when this anger comes, it's going back to this hurt, this loss from the past. The second kind of common trigger that people have is what are known as unmet expectations. Some people like to refer to them even as unmet needs. Now there are many letdowns in life. If you're married, you've had letdowns in marriage. If you have a family, you've experienced letdowns in your family. Uh, At jobs, employment, it's a notorious place to experience letdowns. And many of these times, these losses that we experience in these realms tend to be in the area of respect or control, or independence, or freedom. And a classic biblical example of this is a person named Naaman in the Old Testament who was a Syrian, and he went to Elisha, the prophet, asking the great prophet for healing because he had leprosy. And what, remember what Elisha told him to do? Elisha told him to go down to the Jordan River, wash yourself seven times, and your flesh will be restored. Well, we read in Second. Uh, Kings chapter 5 verses 11 and 12 the following but Naaman went away angry and said I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy are not Abana and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed so he turned and went off 
in a rage. He was angry. He was in a rage. I thought this man would come out. I thought he'd call on his God. I thought he'd wave his hand over my leprosy and it would be gone. What made Naaman angry? Unmet expectations and his own perceived unmet needs. He expected Elisha to do one thing, to heal him on the spot. And he did another, telling him to go wash in the Jordan. Naaman was mad that Elisha didn't do what he expected him to do. For some of you in the church, your anger rises around unmet expectations. People in your life are not doing what you expect them to do. And it rises over your unmet needs of what you believe that others should be doing for you. And your blood starts to boil because it appears to be so unjust to have these unmet needs, these unmet uh, expectations in your life. That's a trigger. And again, it may go back to some kind of hurt, some kind of primary loss or secondary loss in your past. Um, The third common trigger people have is fear. When we feel threatened in some way, challenged, when we fear that we're losing control, that we're losing the power to choose, when we are simply afraid or even startled by something, then we can get angry. And a good example of this in the Bible, a fear leading to anger, is King Saul. And again, that's in the Old Testament. When David killed Goliath, the women came out and danced in the streets when the Israelite army had returned. We pick up this account in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I want to read for you there verses 6 through 12. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, and he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, and he, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David. Hear that? You know, he was angry in verse 8, and now it identifies. He was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. Saul was afraid of David, and he felt threatened by David. And as a result, he responded in his anger with so much anger that he tried to pin him to the wall by throwing a spear at him. Does this describe at all one of your triggers for anger? When you feel threatened in some way, maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's your prestige. Maybe it's your job that's being threatened or your way of life. Maybe it's your voice that all of a sudden doesn't seem to matter. You no longer get to have a say in something or that your choices are being taken away. Why do we react so strongly when we're threatened with the loss like of our choice or or our voice? Are we just being selfish and want our way? Well, sometimes that's true. But more often than not, it goes deeper than that. It has to do with the way that God has made us. See, the ability to choose and to have a say is intrinsic 
to our humanity. Reason, choice, and expressing that are two of the many qualities that make us like God. Because remember, we're made in the image of God. So those are things where we're like the image of God. We enjoy the ability to choose. It gives us a sense of power and of control and even identity as free beings. So when you take away from people their choices and their voice by placing restrictions upon them, they will experience loss and become angry because this is seen as an injustice. The late theologian and author Dallas Willard writes, in creating human beings, God made them to rule, to reign, to have dominion in a limited sphere, only so they can be persons. Any being that has say over nothing at all is no person. They would be reduced to completely passive observers who count for nothing who make no difference. See, Willard tells us that when we don't have a say or a choice in a matter, we feel insignificant. We feel like less of a person, less of the person that God has made us to be as beings with a voice and freedom and choice. And so people naturally in those circumstances get angry. Any, any wonder why half of our country is mad right now? Because they're being told they have to wear masks or they have to be vaccinated? or they can't keep their job. So this week, as we prepare for next Sunday's message on faith and anger, do the hard work of listing your primary losses and secondary losses in your life. And it, if it helps you to break it down by segments, to take your childhood or take your early adult years or take then your middle adult years or for some of you that are older, even your senior adult years, if it helps to break it out like that, go ahead. But as you see your losses, then look to see if you can find what the triggers are of those losses that tend to jumpstart your anger. Your anger within your anger. Look for those things. Is it hurt? Is it unmet expectations or unmet needs? Is it fear? Because next week we're going to be taking a deep dive into how our faith can help us overcome our human anger. But as you do discover your triggers this week, go ahead in prayer, and begin the process. Ask God to heal your hurts and to help you stop trying to control everything in your life and to let God have your unmet expectations, your unmet needs, the ways that you've been let down in life. Give all of that to God. And finally, hand over your fear to God as well and learn, begin that process of learning to trust God. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to talk about mending broken relationships. And God, we understand, as we've heard from this opening illustration, that the majority of conflicts and problems that people have in their life are related to anger. But not just anger, to human anger that doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. So Lord, as we continue to wrestle with anger here for these first three weeks of this sermon series, I pray, God, that you would uh, help us in our homework assignment this week to do that hard work, try and discover what those primary losses and secondary losses are. All of us get angry. It's human to get angry. And there are triggers to those anger. I pray, God, by your Holy Spirit, that you would lead each of us. And some of us maybe are at a place of denial, saying we don't get angry. But we do. We suppress it. We clam it up. And then it leaks out. So, God, however it does, Show us that way so that, Lord, we can gain the victory and be the witnesses in this world that's so full of turmoil right now 
And, uh, and I pray this now in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.